0: To fulfill all of God's promises. And so we live in a world that is devoid and detached from promise. We live in a similar age where the news would would, would, would affect us and give us a, a, a moment of despair. Nothing's gonna get better. It's only getting worse. Evil people are running around controlling everything. Or if we look in the mirror, we realize that something else is ruling us. We're being controlled by our own sin and our own struggles. But we see here that Jesus, the King, has come. As the Lord promised long ago, Christ is fulfilling that expectation. The Messiah, the King, the Son of David is coming into the world showing the faithfulness of God. And you see the way in which he comes is a little bit contrary to a victorious king riding in from battle. Normally they would come on a horse. And we see that the way in which Jesus comes, the way in which he said he would come... Shows his humility that this victory is unique, and the way by which this victory has been achieved for the people of God goes beyond our normal expectations. That it's his humility riding on a donkey, and it's his humiliation, his his willful subjection to suffering and eventual death in our place. For the sins of his people, that's the way by which he is victorious over the enemies of the people of God. He's humble, riding on a donkey. So we see his authority, we see his humility, and we see his faithfulness. Christ the King comes, fulfilling all the promises of God for his people. Does that not instill a confidence in you, a faith, an assurance inside each and every one of you that whatever thing we face, whatever sin we struggle with, that Jesus invaded this place to be victorious over it? Jesus is king, and he's making that declaration in this time. Not only that, verse 7 well, verse 6, we see the disciples did what Jesus said, and we see that they also uh, do something else. They put cloaks uh, on the donkey and on the colt, and that the crowd, as well as spreading their cloaks on the road, paving the way. And they also get branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. Something that, was, uh, that scholars pointed out were, were, was a normal practice that showed that they were celebrating and receiving the king when he came back from battle. That, yes, we submit to your victory. We submit to your victory. An act of celebration, an act of submission, and receiving of Jesus as king. But not only that, the crowds went before him and the ones that followed him were shouting. They weren't mumbling. They weren't whispering. In our non-extreme society, we're, well, that's kind of extreme. We don't want to be extremists. It's kind of weird. Moderation. Amen? We don't want to be extreme. These people responded with an extreme noise, shouting. I will not show it to you. You can say amen. We'll just talk about it, okay? They shouted Scripture. They shouted Scripture. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118. They shouted in joy and worship and jubilation. Hosanna in the highest. What does that word Hosanna mean? My kids asked me recently. Does anyone know what Hosanna means? You're like, wait, Santana, the music guy? No, Hosanna. Hosanna means save now. In its original form, it was was an expression of crying out to God. It was a a prayer. It was a longing. Save now! Or just simply, save! It was a crying out to God for salvation. That's what Hosanna means. So you see that the coming of Christ is not just the fulfilling of Scripture, but it's also the, the heightening of hope for our salvation. Christ the King comes, heightening hope of salvation in the people of God. They want to be saved. They're anticipating their salvation, their deliverance, through the victory of this King. That's what the meaning of those words is. The Son of David, we see that again. Again, they understood that victory and salvation was to come from a King from the line of David. And again, Hosanna in the highest is basically a a, a celebration, a, a worshiping of God. You're saving us, God. You who are highest. And Christ the King comes. He comes to fulfill the promises of God, showing the faithfulness of God to us who are so often detached from promise. And also heightens our hope from salvation for those who are often stuck in sin. You see, there are many of you here today, one of which is me, that has specific besetting sins that we're just stuck in like quicksand. We can't seem to get out of. We're struggling. We're, we're pursuing the Lord. But man, we're still living in a fallen condition. And it's in this moment that we see the good news that Christ comes into the world and through humiliation, through his death, coming to save us from sin. So, whatever sin you find yourselves wrestling with, whatever struggle, maybe even whatever sin you are a victim of, someone else's sin that is unjust and unfair, whatever you see on TV that you say that's unjust, that's not right, that is evil. And whatever you see when you look in the mirror, as you reflect upon the righteousness of God and the relative mess that you are in comparison to Him, when you stare at that and you read this scripture, you can say to yourselves, I, or, or that salvation has come in Jesus. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that you're saved? I thought Bernie uh, quite well last week when he preached from Exodus talked about like, we're not really experiencing joy and song and worship if we don't understand the, the depth of our sin. We just don't, we won't do that. But these people in this time, albeit uh, misconstrued in their expectations, which is for another sermon, these people had a longing for salvation as a nation. Is that you? Do you see and know and understand the the tragedy and the spiritual death that sin has put you in? And do you cry out recognizing that just doing a better job next time, that your own righteousness is, is not sufficient, that religion won't save you showing up at church giving a few bucks, smiling, in saying God bless you, is not enough to save you from the predicament that you find yourself in, that it is needed that a king come to be victorious in saving you from sin, Satan, and death. Do you feel that? Do you know that today? You say, well, you're kind of overwhelming. I'm trying to be. (laughs) You're overstating it. No, actually, I'm not. We're underseeing it. When Jesus comes, hope for salvation from our sin comes with him. Amen. Know that. Bank your life on that. Rely upon the person and the finished work of Jesus and nothing else. Last we see that, verse 10, when he entered this Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. There was quite a buzz. It went viral for the moment. People were tweeting, putting it on Facebook. Right? There was a buzz. Who is this? There's this intrigue this, the Christ coming in is fulfilling Scripture. It's, it's also heightening hope for salvation. And Christ the King coming is also uh, causing intrigue, interest, into who exactly Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Who is this man riding on a donkey, humbly coming with the palm branches, that they're all singing Hosanna to the highest? Who is this Jesus? They want to know who Jesus is. The crowds have concluded, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. True or false? We'll do it. Ready? ready? If you think that's a true statement, raise your hand. Jesus is a prophet From Galilee and Nazareth. Everyone put your hand up. It's a true statement. Okay? You you know I was trying to play with you, though. That's why you were a little hesitant. He's he's got a curveball here. I'm not swinging. Right? Yes, it's a true statement. Jesus is the prophet. He is from Nazareth. And that was in Galilee. Yes, true statement. But I think David Turner, in his commentary, points out quite well that this is an accurate statement about Jesus, but it is not an adequate statement about Jesus. Did you hear that? It's a true statement, but it is not the totality of what this text is revealing, this event. It's true, but it's not the totality. It's accurate, but it is not adequate. The question, who is Jesus? Often in today's world, you hear this. He was a good man. True or false? Raise your hand if you think Jesus was a good man. This is not a trick question. (laughs) Okay, how about this one? He was a good teacher. Raise your hand if you think Jesus was a good teacher. All the hands should be up, unless you just completely disagree, which is fine. Well, I mean, you know, we could talk about it. Right? Jesus was a good man. Someone say amen to that. Jesus was a good teacher. Yes, he was. But he was so much more than that. And I think we live in a day and age where everyone is asking the question, who is Jesus? And the answer often is true, isn't it? But it's so not the totality of who he is, the way culture sees him. No one, everyone's like, I love Jesus, but I hate the church, you know, blah, blah. Everyone loves Jesus. Right? And even in Christianity, I think that we've grabbed onto a Jesus that we like. A Jesus of our own mind. We've gone to the religious buffet table and we've said, give me a little bit of this, give me a little bit of that of Jesus, I'll take that of Jesus. Right? We craft our own meal, our own understanding for our own what? Enjoyment. But if you take a look at this passage, you see that to leave Jesus as just the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee is an inadequate conclusion to draw. Doing so is what? uh, To stop there and to say, yeah, he tells the truth to God's people is just inadequate. It's a true statement, but it's inadequate. It's what C.S. Lewis called a, a patronizing nonsense in his liar, lunatic, Lord quote. Patronizing nonsense to just conclude that Jesus is a prophet or that he's just a good moral teacher. He's so much more than that. And I wonder if some of us here today, and I know the people in the world, and I know sometimes and often in my own life, as I pursue God and struggle, right? That that there's there's a superficial understanding of Jesus. Just what we see on the surface, what we like, what's comfortable. And therefore, we have a superficial uh, joy at considering Him. A superficial obedience to His commands. We've got to know Him before we trust Him. The more we know of Him, the more we see the robust nature, the totality of who Christ is, the more we'll respond with joy, expectation, hope at the reality that He has entered into the world. And now the city of Jerusalem. So as this passage progresses, let's go back. Who is Jesus? He's the Lord, verse 3. He's the Lord. He is not Caesar. He's not the Lord. Jesus is Lord. He's in charge of all things, all people, for all time. That includes us. He's Lord of all. Jesus is the king, the promised king. The long-awaited king. You say, well, we're, we don't really live in a society with kings. That's like England and stuff. You know, the power's in the people. <laughs> Jesus is king. He's in charge. And his rule and reign will never cease. He's not up for re-election. He's king. Jesus is the son of David. That king. He is the Savior, the one which, when we cry out, Hosanna, save us now, his ears are the only ones that hear it and are able to respond to it with salvation. He's the Savior, uniquely him, no one else. He is indeed the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the essence, the identity of the Lord is Jesus, and he is the prophet. He is the one who speaks the truth alone. In fact, as he says in John 14, he in fact is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one is saved from their sin and restored into relationship with my Father except through me. Uniqueness, exclusivity. He's the only one. That's Jesus. And even as we walk through Holy Week, we recognize that Jesus is a man. He came in human form and flesh, He lived in Nazareth, a real place in real time, a zip code in a region known as Galilee. His manhood gives him so much credibility to be our Savior, to be the sacrifice that is necessary that we're going to talk about Friday. This is Jesus. And even that, you're thinking, there's more. Yes, there is. This whole book is a revelation that points to the person of Jesus. So how do we grow in our understanding of the totality of who Jesus is so that we might experience the joy that He designs for us so that we might walk in His ways and live in relationship to Him. It's through constant, regular, memorizing, interaction with, application of the Scriptures that point to who He is. Not just our own little confession. He's a good guy. He's my homeboy, the Jesus of Scripture. Christ the King comes into the world. He comes fulfilling God's promises. Christ the King comes, what? Heightening hope of salvation. Christ the King comes, what? Causing intrigue, interest. Revealing who He really is. So for people today who live in a world detached from promise. They live in despair in their circumstances. They see no way out, no future ahead. Sounds like Syracuse. Even in the middle of what is spring now, you can't convince me. No hope. It's dreary. It's cold. So many people live in that place. People wrestling and struggling with sin. Confused about the nature of God, living apart from Him. Jesus comes. He comes. When it seems that all hope is gone, Christ the King comes. When it seems as though all strength has been depleted in us, around us, Christ the King comes when it seems as though there is no potential for joy in human experience, Christ the King comes. When there's no freedom, so it would seem, from our struggles in sin that we wrestle with day by day, when it seems that there is no possibility to be relieved and rescued, Christ the King comes. When it seems that all clarity has been lost about the meaning of life, the identity of God, our purpose in this place, Christ the King comes. This is what he did. He came. And this is what he has done in our lives. For many of you, that's your story, right? Walking down this path, doing this, hopeless, lifeless, joyless. And then what happened? What happened? God came. It's your story. God showed up in the person of Jesus and said, the Lord needs you. Come. Took claim over your very life. How do we respond to that God? Very simple. We receive him. We submit to him. We lay down our cloaks. That's an image. Don't take your jacket off. We lay down our cloaks. And what? We submit our lives to him. And then we celebrate who he is and what he has been accomplishing for us. If you're here today, don't, you don't know Jesus, or maybe your understanding of Christ has been superficial at best. And he's revealed himself to you in a unique, special way through this scripture today. Do that. Receive him. Submit to him as Lord. And celebrate his victory as your king. And then I would add this the last thing I'm going to say wait for him. He came you say, as my kids say, where is he? He's not here. And I say, you're right. But that doesn't mean he's not real. And that doesn't mean, guess what? He's not coming soon. Because he will come again. He promised. Christ the King will come. But it will not be in humility. It will be, as Revelation shows, So wonderfully and graphically. It will be a Jesus with fire in his eyes. It will be a Jesus with a sword in his hand. It will be a Jesus with a message on his leg that says, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he will wreak havoc on all that is evil. And he will destroy the destroyers of the earth. Jesus will come again as king. And so part of responding to this message is saying, I believe he's coming again. I will wait for him patiently, yet celebrate who he is now. Can we do that? When all hope seems gone, Christ the King has come. Let's pray. Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are indeed the promised King. Jesus, you are our Savior. Jesus, you are the Son of David who reigns forevermore. Jesus, you are the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus, you are the prophet who tells the truth, who is the truth. Empower us by your Spirit to understand the totality of that, to receive it, to submit our lives to you, and to celebrate with joy as we wait for your coming in Christ's name